Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JeanPielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. As always, a lot of stuff we're going to get into in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. If you kind of saw the little tease, a um, little bit about a couple of the topics we're going to talk about today. We spent some time talking about uh, managers in baseball and uh, the separation between the acceptance of, obviously I can't do two things at once, between black players that are accepted in the sport and were from the day of Jackie Robinson being uh, becoming part of baseball. The other 15 teams decided to follow suit and it's amazing that still a third of the teams in Major League Baseball still do not have or still have never had a black manager. We're going to talk a little bit about that, how it applies to the other sports, basketball, football, and hockey. Um, I think it's interesting how we get a little too far ahead of ourselves when we talk about the football trading deadline, which obviously passed within, you know, that yesterday and this week. You know, from a time-sensitive perspective, it's just recently passed. And we tend to make a little bit more of a big deal about it, as if you got to be a buyer and seller like in baseball. We've, you know, obviously you know how I feel about that. Just a little bit too much emphasis on something that may not necessarily impact the team. And the, the stuff that was put out there, a lot of the narrative of, whether certain teams were going to trade these players or what players in some people's minds should have been traded. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I, I want to open up the show talking about something, and listen, that's going to be over in a little bit. We're going to have another World Series that's going to be finished. One of two things are going to happen. You know, Later on tonight, tomorrow, we're either going to be talking about the Washington Nationals becoming one of the remaining seven teams to finally win themselves a World Series, and that will leave just six teams left. Padres, Rockies, Brewers, Rays, Rangers, and Mariners who have never won a World Series. And I've, I've been an advocate of that. I think every team, every fan base in all sports, let alone just baseball, deserve to have a championship that they can call their own. Even if it is maybe a little while ago. Or maybe it's just a one in, in a row where other teams win a whole lot more. At least have as a fan that one championship to be able to be proud of. You know, hopefully for the Nationals and their fans, they get a chance to do that. But if not, the Houston Astros will have won their second World Series championship in three years. Will have done so in a World Series where, in spite of a 60-21 and 21 record during a regular season in their home games, where they lost three World Series games at home. They would have lost three World Series games out of the four that ace pitchers Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander pitched. I think there's a lot to think about that. And I honestly think we're going to look at a, a game. Hopefully we have a classic game because we are going to talk in a little bit about some of the classic games in World Series history. And listen, you can talk about game six being a classic for a different reason because of the dispute amongst the call and you know, when it comes down to it, the unfortunate thing is there's two things that really make this seem a lot worse than it really is. 
It's the lack of clarity that exists amongst the Wolva that essentially tells the base runner that they have to run outside the line as opposed to inside the line. And a rule that doesn't normally get enforced. A play that looked so egregious. It looked like it was such a misplay. The umpires not only on the field, but the umpires in a replay booth completely got it wrong. And unfortunately, as as it existed within the parameters of the rule book and the way it's set up was wrong. And, uh, you know, the comparison you can make is to what is a catch, what is not a catch, what is a possession of a ball in a National Football League and what isn't. Those same things would kind of go back and forth. And you figure with replay, the very least it would provide is a little bit more clarity. And the unfortunate thing is, is there's less clarity than ever. And that's why it makes a situation like that where a call could have determined who ended up winning game six and lost game six. For some reason, the Houston Astros come back and they win that game and they win the World Series. You know, you almost look at it as if something was taken away from the Washington Nationals. Well, unfortunately, the Astros never really showed up. And the Nationals continued to put the foot on the gas. Strasburg pitching into the ninth, the Rendon home run later on. They end up winning, you know, decisively. It looked like one team really showed up to play and the other team didn't. Now, when it comes to the rule book, I think it's very important, not just for Major League Baseball, but for all sports, to look at the fine issues that exist amongst their respective rule books. And borderline to controversial situations that can come up. Hopefully not in the World Series. Hopefully not in the Super Bowl or last year in a uh, playoff game that determines what, what team moves on and has a chance to go to the Super Bowl and what team doesn't. You, you don't want things like that to determine who wins and who loses. So why isn't there more of an onus amongst people associated with sports to clarify things that are written in a certain way that may not necessarily need to be written in that way. You look at Trey Turner, and I'm not going to tell you anything that hasn't been blurted about a thousand times. What did he do wrong there? Sure, the beginning of his path towards first base, which, by the way, he came out of the right-handed batter's box, so he had a crossover from fair territory, in the foul territory at some point, but he's running in a straight line towards the bag. He's There's no malice in there. There's no way that he is looking to interfere with anybody there. And you can make a case that if it wasn't for a lousy throw that was right into the runner, there wasn't going to be an issue there. So if he made a good throw, you wouldn't talk about whether he was in a baseline or not in a baseline. It, it looked as if, when the ball made contact with him, that he was in a baseline. So what is the rule and what's not the rule? This is part of not just sports, but all of America when it comes to what's a fact and what is an opinion. Because opinions are facts. You, we're talking about two completely different sides you could have on this particular issue, and you could both not be wrong. Now, is this a matter of giving participation trophies to everybody? Is this the Me Too Society? Is this a situation where everybody has to be right? Because, you know, God forbid somebody's wrong, they get their feelings hurt. This looks like a distinct call that the rule book should be able to clarify that 
there was no interference there. But there's so much gray area left in a rule book, pretty similar to NFL and its replay system. When it comes down to it, these sports need to clamp down on the clarity of their own rules. Like I said, I hate to keep jumping back between baseball and football, but when are we going to define exactly what a catch is in the National Football League? Possession. It's pretty easy to determine whether somebody scores. All right, but they didn't have possession when he scored. These are a couple things that should be hammered and ironed out as we hit what we'll call the opening point here at a PBS. Lots of more stuff we're going to get into. It, it's frustrating from the fans' perspective because they're kind of thrown into their natural reaction. The play looked like it was an egregious bad call last night. According to the rule book, it wasn't. So what are we saying here? If the onus is on these sports to make sure they clarify without a doubt what the rules are. Or, if they're not going to change the rules, they need to make sure that it's understood where a base runner can run and where they can't run. If that base runner cannot be in a direct path towards the base, they need to be told that. It needs to be instructed to the players and the teams. And a base runner needs to be told exactly where they need to be. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights. Granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC, is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge admission for showing, is similarly prohibited. So one of the, unless Game 7 tonight becomes an epic game, we're not going to have a classic all-time World Series game this year. And it's a shame because you've seen some over the past several years. You look at 2016, Game 7, 2017, Games 2 and 5, amongst the most epic in World Series history. And I was thinking about it because I know a couple shows, whether it's MLB Network, whether there's other baseball, you know, saturated and oriented shows that focus on the greatest World Series games in the last 50 years. Well, how fair does that make it for baseball that existed before that? Because before 1960, I'm sure there's been some classic baseball World Series games. Some of the best played World Series games, I'm sure, had to have happened before 1960. So how, how do we equate those World Series games to the ones that we know and love? Because obviously... The ones that come to mind, 1975, Game 6, 1986, Game 6, Game 1 of the 1988 World Series. You talk about World Series games that had dramatic um, events, the earthquake in 1989. But you can talk about the back and forth of 1960, Reggie Jackson's three home runs in a game, David Freeze, 2011, you know, with the... Texas Rangers on the brink of winning their first World Series championship. Two strikes, two outs. 1991, Jack Morris going 10 innings against John Smoltz, who pitched nine shutout innings, but it wasn't good enough to win Game 7 of the World Series. So a lot of those games are often spoken about. But there are other games that stand out amongst some of the best in World Series history. And... Uh, I, th I think of, and you want to go back, of course, to the first World Series, which was 19-3. But you can also talk about different different World Series as they as they end up coming across time. And 
I've I've spent some time researching just to try to think about what would some of the best World Series games be and how would they rank with the ones that we talk about all the time. Now, I want this to be a collaborative effort, so anybody that's listening to the show, watching the show, following the show, can come up or think of a specific World Series game that I won't mention right now. I will get back to you and I'll actually see where I should put it. Or if you go, th I go through this list back to you, and you tell me one is a little more uh, dramatic, a little better of a game, then I'm willing to hear the discussion. That's what this is about. That's what the Passball Show is. It's about you. It ain't about me. I can sit here and blab all day. And you know what? If you want to be part of the show and have your voice heard, just mention what you want to mention. So I went back and I counted from 31 down amongst the greatest World Series games ever played. And like I said, this spans... I went, I tried to go into the single digits in regards to the 1900s, 1903 to 1909. And the unfortunate thing was there that there was, there wasn't any epic games. There was, you know, the 1908 um, game with Fred Merkel where he doesn't step on a base. Merkel's boner forces a one game playoff. The, you know, the, the Giants end up losing to the Cubs. Cubs win the World Series in 1908, their first World Series that they have, the only one they have for a 108 years, second World Series that they won, but the first one that they win for a really, really long time. But I didn't see any classic games there. I go into the next decade, and I did find one in 1912. So the game spanned from 1912 to 2017. It's 2018 World Series. Listen, it was a good World Series. Red Sox earned it. They won. They, they got what they deserved. But there was no classic games. There was no big-time back-and-forth games. So I think of what I would constitute as game number 31 on my list. I'm going to go to the 2001 World Series and talk about game five with the Yankees and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Obviously a classic World Series overall. There'll be a couple other mentions of this World Series over the course of this list. Game 5 was the one with the Scott Brocious home run off of Byung Young Kim. Yankees end up walking off. And what stands out about this, it's like the Yankees did it again. And I remember watching this World Series like, are the Diamondbacks in on this? How could the same thing happen? The same relief pitcher with a two-run lead give up a dramatic game tie and home run in back-to-back -back games? So... You know, a game that looked like Arizona finally was going to get the upper hand, they end up losing in almost similarly dramatic fashion to what you saw in game four. So I moved to another game, and I think there is a little bit of dispute of exactly what happened in this World Series game. And I go to 1932, I go to the World Series, the Cubs against the New York Yankees, the game known as the Babe Ruth-Charlie Root game where the so-called called shot exists, where he points to the right center field bleachers. He ends up hitting a home run almost to the same spot. Now, researchers have determined that there was a lot of heckling that was going on between Babe Ruth and the Chicago Cubs fans in the stadium that day. And 
Babe Ruth spent a lot of time being the star, the icon, the uh, larger-than-life figure that he was, that he also drew a lot of heckling and negativity from the opposing fans. So Babe kind of embraced this as he did, did his thing. And you're talking about 1932, Babe Ruth, a little bit older, only plays in the major leagues for a couple more seasons after that. Plays 33 and 34 with the Yankees before finishing his career with the Boston Braves in 35. And, you know, this could be a simple thing of Babe Ruth defending himself from heckling. Maybe pointing at a fan in the stands. Or maybe pointing from a fan saying, this is where I'm going to hit the ball. Not necessarily directed at the pitcher, but... It is an iconic World Series game because it's the only time that something like that happened. And the Babe Ruth pointing at the right center field fence, whether he was pointing at the pitcher or pointing at somebody in the crowd or just happened to move his fingers up where it looked like he was pointing at the fence, you know, lives for some great folklore. I don't look at it as one of the best World Series games ever. That's why I rank it as 30 and nowhere near, you know, the top 20 or the top uh, 10. Next one I talk about is going to be remembered for, as a great occasion, a great moment in baseball history, Don Larson's perfect game, 1956 World Series. But we're talking about dramatic games, back and forth, best games ever. Well, it was a great game if you're a New York Yankees fan. It was a great game if you're a Don Larson. It's unbelievable performance, something we've never seen again in baseball history, a perfect game in the World Series. Nobody's even thrown a no-hitter in the World Series. We may have hit a day and age where we may never see a pitcher pitch a complete game shutout in the World Series. So it's going to be remembered as a great performance, certainly a great individual performance, but maybe not necessarily an all-time game. So another game that I look at that's kind of similar to that has nothing to do negatively with the player that it involves. And that's Game 6 of the 1977 World Series, Reggie Jackson, three home runs. That's an incredible performance. One of the more show-stopping moments in World Series history. From an individual standpoint, this is a, a player that put his team on his back and won the World Series for, for him. An outstanding job. You give him all the credit in the world for what he did. But was it a back-and-forth game? Was it an all-time game? No. So here's when I go in the top 27 games, and I think every one of these had some back and forth in them. We'll start with number 27 in 1993, game four. That's the Joe Carter. I'm sorry, that's the uh, the back and forth game with the Phillies and the Braves. 14-13, um, you know, ends up go, going back and forth. A ton of offense. Really the most offense that you're ever going to see in a World Series game. And really, back and forth, he really felt like either team through the entirety of the nine innings of that game could have won. So we go to number 26, game one of the 2015 World Series, Mets and the Kansas City Royals. A game in which the Mets led late, a dramatic home run by Alex Gordon off of Jairus Familia. Game ends up going into extra innings. The Royals win game one. And with that, have the control that they need to kind of command a World Series, which they end up winning in five games. Number 25, game one of the 2000 World Series, which also involved the Mets. Mets and Yankees game in which the Mets are winning going into the ninth. Armando Benitez blows the save. 
Timo Perez, a very important insurance run, ends up getting thrown out, which could have determined the game. But there certainly was back and forth. The game ends up going, what, 12 innings? And the Yankees end up winning on a, on a walk-off hit. Game number 24 is 1996, game three. That's the Yankees and the Braves. Uh, some parallels that we've seen to the World Series of 2019. We got the back and forth that's going on with the teams winning games on the road. The home team in 1996 didn't win a game until game six where the Yankees beat the Braves at home. Yankees lost the first two games at Yankee Stadium, won the next three in Atlanta. Pretty similar to what we saw this series. Of course, game six going to the Nationals in Houston, the first time in baseball history that the road team has won all six games of the World Series, or the first six games of the World Series. So you move on from that, and I go to number 23, which is game one of the 1954 World Series. And this stands out for a couple reasons. Of course, it will always be remembered for the great catch by Willie Mays to rob Vic Wirtz, you know, his back uh, completely against the, you know, where, where the ball is. He reaches his glove out. He makes the catch, makes that incredible throw to hold the runner back. But what doesn't get discussed about this game is as the game goes into extra innings, Dusty Rhodes, three-run home run in what was an incredible World Series. Four for seven. I think he, he hit three home runs. What a, a ridiculous performance for a guy who only got a couple at-bats. But the Dusty Rhodes home run makes that a legitimately remembered game. Game number 22 is game two of the 2017 World Series. The back and forth that was involved with the Dodgers and the Astros. Um, you know, a game that looked like it, it was set in the eighth inning. But, you know, a team, and I think it was the Dodgers, or I'm sorry, the Astros, end up coming back scoring runs in the eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh innings. Uh, in a game that just seemed like it was never going to end. So as we go into 21 and 20, game four of the 2001 World Series, which we spoke about, this was Tilo Martinez, the home run that he hit off of Young Young Kim, Derek Jeter, the opposite field home run on what was November 1st, Mr. November, uh, the only walk-off home run, or the first walk-off home run that Derek Jeter ever hits in his career, Yankees beat the Diamondbacks. Game number 20, Game 7 of the 1924 World Series. And this is the part of it which I find fascinating because we only go up to about 1960. We want to forget about some of the classic World Series games that happened before then. You're talking about the Washington Senators, obviously. Washington, D.C. baseball. Last time they won a World Series championship, this was the game that they ended up winning. But they had to earn it. A back-and-forth game with the New York Giants. The, a comeback late. With the Washington Senators, they end up winning this game and winning their only World Series. Game number 19 will go with game number 4 of the 1941 World Series. What stands out about this game is this is the game known for the Mickey Owen pass ball. Hugh Casey throws a pitch uh, for Tommy Hendrick, which looks like it's going to be strike 3. And it is a swing and miss. Mickey Owen can't hold on to it. It goes to the backstop. Hendrick reaches first. Yankees end up banging out a couple more hits, end up winning this game. Now, this game turned the World Series because the Dodgers would have been in a very commanding position, end up kind of bowing out and going easily to the Yankees in a 1941 World Series. Game number 19, I'm sorry, game number 18 
is Game 7 of the 1968 World Series. A classic back and forth with the Detroit Tigers and the St. Louis Cardinals. Bob Gibson pitching in another Game 7 like he did in 1964 and 1967. Matched up against Mickey Lolich. Lolich had won two games in a World Series. An incredible performance. A game that you thought was probably going to go to the Cardinals because of Gibson and his name. And the Detroit Tigers end up pulling it off with the strength of the arm of Mickey Lolich. So game number 17 is 2017 game 5. Probably the more classic of the two classic games of the 2017 World Series. And obviously a series that ended up going 7 with the Astros winning. And you have to say how many of these all-time games. You got the 2001 World Series, you got the 1993 World Series, and of course you got the 2017 World Series. So it's three World Series so far to have multiple games mentioned on this list. Game 16, Game 7 of the 2014 World Series, and if you remember that, it's the Giants and the Royals. That's a uh, tight game Go going late. Giants got a little bit of a lead. They give the ball to Madison Bumgarner, who pitches in Game Inning five through nine, throws five shutout innings out of the pen. And then, of course, the Alex Gordon hit to the wall, which ends up going all the way there. Do you send them home? He looks like he would have been thrown out by a mile, but we'll, we'll never know because he was stopped at third and stranded at that position in a one-run win for the San Francisco Giants in their third World Series championship in five years. Game number 15. You got Game 7 of the 1997 World Series. You got the Miami, the Florida Marlins at the time. Obviously, the Miami Marlins now against the Cleveland Indians. Game ends up going to extra innings. But, you know, you talk about a blown save by Jose Mesa. Um, a, very, a very big one, which, of course, leads to the feud between him and longtime teammate Omar Vizquel. So, a game that goes to extra innings, we all remember, you know, Craig Council and Charles Nagy and a ball getting through this hit by Edgar Renteria. Miami were at the time of Florida Marlins World Series champions. Game 14 is game six of the 1993 World Series. We all know that one as the Joe Carter game. Uh, Mitch Williams on the mound. Philly's looking to tie the series. Um, obviously a big pitch, a big moment. And Joe Carter ends up getting a ball inside and cranking it over the left field wall. One of the more dramatic home runs in World Series history. Certainly a walk-off home run to end the World Series. Something you've only seen happen a couple times in baseball history. Game number 13, game 7 of the 1991 World Series. And I'll say this, it wasn't as much of a back-and-forth game, which is why it ends up on my list being a little bit further than somebody else's. People may love a pitcher's duel. People may love a back-and-forth game that's 14-13 to 13 with a ton of offense and a lot of lead changes. Uh, you're looking at the greatest pitching performance, I think, on both sides of a deciding game in a World Series, let alone maybe World Series history with Jack Morris and John Smoltz. Morris going to 10 innings, pitching one of the best games of his life in that game. Gene Larkin, a pinch hit, hit off of Alejandro Pena, and the Minnesota Twins are World Series champions again. Game 12, 1985, Game 6. Controversial because the call that was missed by Don Denkinger was blamed for the St. Louis Cardinals not winning the World Series. That call itself didn't determine that game for the Kansas City Royals over the St. Louis Cardinals, but it put the Cardinals in a compromised position. 
that call is always going to be remembered. But, you know, there, there was still a Jim Sunberg base hit. There were still uh, outs to get for Todd Worrell, who could not get the job done there. And obviously the Cardinals reacting the way they did, pretty similar to what you saw yesterday for the Washington Nationals and their reaction to the bad call or the disputed call at first base. You, know, you, you don't want that to impact your ability to play the game. You don't want that to uh, bring you down to a point where you say, all right, well, we don't have to win now. We could use this as an excuse. I feel like the 1985 St. Louis Cardinals did that, especially if you look at their performance in Game 7. Thank you, Jeremy Hine, home plate. Joaquin Andujar gets roughed up. He gets thrown out of the game. Whitey gets tossed. And it's almost like a sore loser type of mentality over a call that didn't go to St. Louis Cardinals' way, but it's always going to be remembered. It's a game that you have to put up there when you're talking about uh, the classic World Series games of all time. So as we get close to the top 10, game number 11 is game one of the 1988 World Series. Kirk Gibson, dramatic home run over Eckersley, off of Eckersley. You don't have to even make any more of a case for how significant that game was. Game 10, game 7, 1962. Giants-Yankees, a 1-0 game, a game that you knew at any moment could have exploded and gone in a different direction. The Yankees could have padded some runs on. The Giants could have come back in many situations, but a couple guys on in the ninth inning, Willie McCovey up, hard line drive to second base, and Billy Martin catches it to end the World Series. The drama that existed with two outs and two men on in Game 7 of that World Series, makes it one of the best games of all time. Game number 9 is Game 7 of the 2002 World Series. Five-run lead for the San Francisco Giants. They end up blowing it. The Anaheim Angels at the time, now the Los Angeles Angels, win their only World Series championship in a great comeback fashion. Now we move on to Game 8, which is a game that very few people talk about now. Never gets mentioned on any of the lists or any of the big uh, any of the big moments when we're talking about great World Series games of all time because there was likely nobody here to watch it, nobody here to view it, nobody remembers that game. There was no firsthand remembrance of it, but it was one of the classic games in the entire history of the World Series. It happened in 1912 between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Giants. Involved the fly ball to center field, hit to Fred Snodgrass, who ends up dropping it. Becomes known as the Snodgrass Muff. Red Sox come back. They add a couple more runs in the inning. They end up winning the World Series. And on top of it all, that happened in a moment where the game could have been decided. Snodgrass makes the catch. The Giants are the World Series champions. He drops it. Red Sox come back and win, and they win the World Series and not the Giants. I'm very surprised that this particular game doesn't get spoken about enough when we're talking about the best World Series games or the most dramatic World Series games in history. We move up. Number seven, Game 7, the 1926 World Series. A game that ends with Babe Ruth getting thrown out, stealing for the final out of the World Series. A game that also features a drunk Grover Cleveland Alexander coming in in relief in the seventh inning Brought in by manager Rogers Hornsby with a couple guys on base. Gets the next out. Gets through the eighth. Gets through the ninth. Walks Babe Ruth. Ruth gets caught stealing with uh, um, the outfielder. What the heck is his name? Come on, that's going to come to me. 
uh, with uh, you know with with, with the uh, go ahead run on, on at the plate, and it's the Cardinals winning their first World Series championship in 1926 against the New York Yankees. The other games are all games that we know about, so I'm going to fly through this real quick. We'll hit up our couple other topics in regards to baseball, sports, and unify in America. Obviously, anything that's on your mind, comments. You want to give the show a call seven three two three six four thirty five ninety eight. Um, we'll run through them real quick. Game 7 of the 2016 World Series is my number 6. Game 5, I'm sorry, number 5, Game 7 of the 2001 World Series, Diamondbacks-Yankees. Um, game 4, Game 7 of the 1960 World Series, Bill Mazeroski. Game 3, for me, is Game 6 of the 2011 World Series, David Freeze hits the home run. We'll see you tomorrow night. Joe Buck honoring his dad. I, I, I get it. That's great. But what makes this game so incredible is the fact that the Texas Rangers, on a number of occasions, two times, they have two strikes and two outs, and they just get this win. They're World Series champions, and we're not talking about them amongst the list of the seven teams that have never won a World Series championship in baseball history. So game two and game one, to me, are pretty easy. Game 6 of the 1986 World Series, Mets, Red Sox, no explanation needed. And number 1, you know, the Bernie Carbo game, Carlton Fisk, you know, waving a ball uh, over the left field wall and making it fair, 1975 World Series. So that's pretty much your top 31. But most importantly, any game that you guys are thinking about, just let me know. We do got some feedback. Coda Brutt says... Cubs in Indians game's got to be number one. Listen, I think it's top five. I do. I really feel like it was one of the best games. And you got to understand too that we got to look at it from the national perspective as well. You know, not just based off of all right, maybe in the history of the Cubs or even in the history of the Cub uh, the Indians, that was the greatest World Series game that either one of those teams have ever seen. It's so hard to take a game from. 2016, and put it right up against 1975 or 1986. But if you look at both of those games, you're looking at more dramatic situations. Not just the Cubs blowing a lead with Araldis Chapman giving up a home run to Rajay Davis. That was dramatic. But what about the New York Mets down to their last out, down by two runs, getting three straight hits, a run in, a pitching change with a ball getting by the catcher, allowing the game to be tied and they end up winning it. And then they have to go out there and win game seven. <clears throat> and then you look at 1975, Bernie Carbo, who really has no business even being in a batter's box, the swing that he takes before he hits the home run to center field. In a game that seemed like it was over, it looked like the Reds were going to win. And they would have won the World Series in six games. They eventually win it in seven. But the back and forth that's involved in that game, in my opinion, was greater than that of game six of the 2016 World Series. And, uh, yeah, Coda, actually I had it listed as number five. So it was uh, in between game seven of the 1960 World Series, which was number four. And if you go back and you look at the back and forth in that game, very few games could parallel to that. Number one, it's the underdog Pirates 
who are outscored in a series by like 20 runs in a seven-game series to the Yankees that end up winning it. But the dramatic home runs that were hit with the Yankees coming back, Hal Smith hits a home run later on in the game to, to tie it for the, Astro, for the uh, Pirates. And then, uh, you know, Mazeroski the home run. So that was number four. Number five was Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. Game 6 was Game 7 of the 2001 World Series, which is Mariano Rivera blowing a save with the era. You know, Craig Council, um, a dramatic win, one in which looked like God was on the side of the New York Yankees for the exception of that ninth inning. But I think top five, I have no issue with it whatsoever. When you're talking about it being a World Series classic game. I mean, it, it's and that's really what we're here to discuss. Which games were the best of all time? And you got to admit, any one of the top five, or you can make a case really of any of the top ten that are on this list that I put together, you can make a case that it was the best of all time. You know, to me, that 75 game, I just, I just invite you to watch an epilogue of that game and how it evolved, compare it to what you saw in, let's say, 2016. I know, I understand the rain delay. I, I think that there was a lot of drama in that particular series. And Coda, you know, I appreciate all the, all the comments. Certainly the rain delay had something to do with it. And uh, we'll, we'll touch on the Patriots in a little bit, Coda. But I, like I said, I appreciate all the contribution. Just to close up this little discussion about the top the top World Series games of all time. Are we going to look at one potentially tonight? All hands on deck, which we know in every game seven, Max Scherzer could give you one of those ridiculous performances where you know you look at his condition and where he was with his neck. He's going up against Zach Greinke, who doesn't say much, but just lets his pitching do the talking. Can we have a World Series that for the first time the road team wins every one of the seven games? Or do we have a Houston Astros team winning a World Series with Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander losing three out of four starts that they have and a team that went 60-21 and 21 in a regular season at home losing three games in the World Series and still winning it? It's a lot of interesting stuff, but I'll, I'll post up the best World Series games on my website, johnpla.com. Like I said, anything that you want to contribute to it, just just let me know. You know, you don't think a game is put in a proper spot, you know, just just let me know your piece. Um, just a reminder: this is the famous Budweiser beer. We know no brand produced by any other brewer. It costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive, our exclusive Beachwood aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability. You'll find in no beer. At any cost. So, last couple topics I want to hit up. I did some research. The other aspect that I wanted to get into today, you heard me a couple weeks ago. If you 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 tune into the show, um, the African American managers in Major League Baseball. I'm very surprised that a sport that did so much to make sure that its game was integrated from the day that Jackie Robinson set foot on a baseball field, succeeded with the Brooklyn Dodgers and other players right after, starting with Larry Doby and many others, started to be picked up, picked up by teams. And 
within 11 years. By 1958, all 16 Major League Baseball teams had finally integrated. Frank Robinson became the first African-American manager in 1975. Do you know that in the year 2019, there's still 11 teams that have never had an African-American manager? I do think that that's a big deal. And I wanted to kind of extenuate my point by talking about other sports and where they sit in regards to African-American head coaches. The National Football League, we understand, has a lot more black players in it that are uh, that represent a certain percentage of the league. A higher percentage of players are black in the National Football League than they are in Major League Baseball. So you would figure that it would also move into the coaching ranks. There's a ton of assistant coaches. There's coaches. There's general managers. It's not like it's something that is completely phased away or not allowed. But you're, you'd be surprised to hear that there are still 10 teams in the National Football League that have never had an African-American head coach. And I'll name some of them because a couple of them will be a little surprising. Some of the longest-running franchises in the history of the National Football League, the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Football Giants. You look at, you know, it's tough with the New England Patriots because they got Bill Belichick. But you look at some of the longer-running franchises in the history of the sport have never had a black head coach. So I, I, I'm wondering, I'm like, hey, would the same thing apply to that of the NBA? And I'll tell you what the NBA has done. The NBA has made this not be an issue. They've done a good enough job by making sure that we don't even dispute whether African-American coaches are accepted in the sport because there's no doubt that every single team, including the teams that we've seen within the last 20 years join the sport, have had African-American head coaches. So the reason it doesn't get spoken about is because the NBA has done really what we should all do in all the other major sports. Not hire a token manager or coach. Have it as part of the process, the best candidates. And you know what? Sometimes the best candidates were the best that played the game or had impacts on the game or know the game the best. But it's surprising that the National Football League, even with the Rooney Rule, still has 10 of its 32 teams that have never had an African-American head coach. Major League Baseball has got teams that go back to 1876 that have never had an African-American manager. Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castrol engineered for today's smaller cars. Last topic we're going to hit up, and we'll keep this brief. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, we got uh, DJ says, was Babe Ruth true to his legendary tales? Um, what I'll tell you about the cold shot, which I spoke about before, being one of the, the greatest moments in World Series history, but not one of the greatest games in World Series history. And I, I spoke a little bit about Babe Ruth kind of being that villain to the fans and was, was kind of that attraction. So if you were not following the Yankees, if you were a Chicago Cubs fan in the 1932 World Series, you know about the legendary Babe Ruth, you know his impact on the game, naturally you were going to heckle him. Naturally you were going to boo him. And Babe Ruth probably in a playful way or maybe even in a serious or angry way, 
would probably give it back to some of the fans and some of the people that were heckling him over the course of the game. But there was never any actual proof that Babe Ruth pointed to the right center field fence with Charlie Root on the mound for the Chicago Cubs and basically said, hey, I'm calling my shot. It look, it's a great folktale. It's great for folklore. But it's very unlikely that it happened that way. But because of it, because of the stories that's involved in it and what could have happened, which we're never going to know for sure, it goes back as one of the best games in the history of sports, let alone Major League Baseball. So last thing I wanted to talk about, the NFL trading deadline. And I understand where NFL exists. We talk about some of the greatest things to happen, you know, with, with the uh, publicity and the attention that it gets. And it's a great job by the attention and the fans. And it's become the pastime of this country. The NFL trading deadline is never going to be like the Major League Baseball trading deadline. It it's, might be getting better. There might be more teams involved on it, but when you think every team to act and have to declare whether they're a buyer or a seller like happens in Major League Baseball, it, it I think you're going to have to see some things change before it becomes more of a destination type of deadline. And we actually, speaking of deadlines, we're actually out of time today. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania by St. Aloysius Church at School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.